0: all doing? Oh, freaking, awesome. freaking awesome. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty here. Hey, tonight, what are we talking about? Frenemies. Yes, frenemies. We're talking about frenemies. How many of you have heard that word before? You know what a frenemy is. Lane, what's a frenemy? A friend that you don't really like. A friend that you don't really like. That's That's a good explanation. We're jumping into James chapter 4 tonight, starting in verse 1. And that's what we're talking about tonight, is being a frenemy. Because it's just what Lane talked about. It's, it's somebody that, that you're kind of friends with, but you don't really like that person. Maybe somebody that acts like they're a friend to you, but the reality is they don't really like you, and they'll stab you in the back or talk about you behind your back or, or whatever it is. That person is a frenemy. But before we get too far into that, I want to do what we've been doing the whole way through this series. I want you guys to tell me what we have learned in James, so far, James 1 1. What about it? Yeah, good job. Yes, who is the book of James written to? The 12 tribes of, the dispersion. The 12 tribes of the dispersion, the 12 tribes of Israel that scattered after the crucifixion when persecution happened. It's those 12 tribes. What else did we learn in James so far? Why don't you? What was that about? Listening, Listening. being not only hearers. But doers of the word, looking at Scripture, seeing what it says, and actually turning around and doing something with it. What else did we learn? Three fates. Three fates. What were the three fates? Dead, dumb, and dynamic. Dead, dumb, and dynamic. I like. I, I like. You guys got notes. I like this. What else? Exactly. James was the brother of Jesus, but at first he didn't believe in him. It took the whole resurrection for him to actually see that Jesus was who he said he was. What else did we learn? I'm looking for two more things. Or three more things. Taming the tongue. That's what we talked about last week. Two more. Joy. Joy in trials. That no matter what we face, no matter what we come up against, we can have joy because we have a relationship through Jesus Christ with the creator of the universe. And what's the last thing? The last thing we talked about, it's the week that we were on the field. Not being partial. Not playing favorites. That no matter what people look like, what they act like, As Christians, God has called us to treat everybody the same. Not some better, not some worse, but everybody the same, to treat them the same way that God treated us when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. So that's what we've learned in James so far. And tonight in chapter 4, we're going right into frenemies. Is it hard to tell who your friends are sometimes? You You know what I think makes it really hard? Facebook. You know why? Think about how many friends... You know how how many friends, think about how many friends you have on your friend list. I looked at my friend list today, and I probably have a lot less friends than you guys do. I've got like 560-something friends on Facebook. I know it's sad, isn't it? Exactly. But listen to me. The reality is, I don't think I know 569 people. These, These are all people that I have met at some point in my life. Some people I know pretty well, like Kathleen, my wife, is my friend on Facebook. I would honestly say she's my real friend. I think we got, I think we got that one down pat. But I've got people that I've met once at a conference five years ago that are my friend on Facebook that I've never talked to since that conference five years ago. I've got people that I've met two or three times or, or people, guys, I graduated from high school in 1994. Do the math, how long has that been? 18 years this, this May, 18 years. I have friends on Facebook that I haven't talked to since the day I graduated high school. And they say we're friends on Facebook. You see, the, the, the reality is, guys, it's hard to tell who our friends are sometimes. Because number one, there's a lot of people that we don't necessarily talk to. But number two, there's a lot of people that act like our friends sometimes But when it comes down to it, they're really more like this. They're more of a frenemy. They're not people who are actually invested in our lives or involved in our lives. When I started driving in high school, I started driving in December of my 10th grade year. I had a lot more friends when I started driving. I had friends that needed rides to school, that needed rides to practice, that needed rides home, needed rides to work. I had friends that wanted to borrow my truck because now they were my friends and they needed it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It didn't happen. Nobody borrowed my truck. But you see, things will come up in your life, and you'll have times where you'll have people who say they're your friend, but realistically, they're not really your friend. And that's what James is talking about. And one of the reasons that happens is exactly what James starts talking about in verse 1 of chapter 4. Here's what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passions. See, James is telling us right there, one of the reasons we have problems in those friendship relationships that we have is because nine times out of ten, at some point, that relationship no longer becomes about the other person. It becomes about me. It becomes about what I want. He said, you guys know why you fight? You know why you have problems? It's because you're concerned about yourself, not the other person. It's because you see things you want, and you go after them. It talks about murdering people because you see something you want. It talks about coveting and you fight. You do not have, excuse me, it says you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You see, a lot of times we focus on ourselves, and when we focus on ourselves, we have a hard time having those relationships and having those friends. And that's where this idea of frenemies comes from. It's where you kind of act like you're concerned about that person. You act like you're their friend, but really you're in it for what that relationship gives you. You're in it until something happens and and all of a sudden your life is uncomfortable or my life is uncomfortable and we don't want to be friends with that person anymore. We'll still be nice to him, but we don't really care about that person. And see, James is telling us that that's, that's not the way God calls us to act. But see, as I was reading this and thinking about this, my first thought is, what about our friendship with God? What about the relationship we say we have with God? Are we really a friend of God? are we a frenemy of God? Do we act like we like God? Do we act like we love God, but then turn around and and do everything that makes us happy and everything that that our body and our, our mind and our will tells us is going to be the best thing for us? You see, I want to ask you guys a question for a second. How many of you in here would consider yourself a friend of God? He's your friend. Raise your hand if you think you're a friend of God. Okay? Pretty much all of you. Now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on a couple of these. How many of you have ever told a lie? How many of you have ever stolen something? Even if it's from a brother or sister, you took something that didn't belong to you, or a parent, or a friend, or or you walked out of a class or a Wednesday night youth group with a pen that didn't belong to you. Aaron. There's a couple of you in here. How many of you? How many of you have ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm right there with it. How many of you have ever committed adultery? Yeah. Jesus Christ tells us that even if we've thought it in our heads, we've committed adultery. He's talking about lust. It's the same thing as adultery. You're telling me nobody in here has ever had lustful thoughts about anybody else? We're going back to question number one about how many of you have lied before because you're doing it right now. Okay? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. What does God tell us about those four things that I just asked about? Just those four things. Is that what God wants us to do? You're telling me sitting in this room that you are a bunch of blasphemous, lying, thieving adulterers. Are you a friend or an enemy of God? If Scripture says, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. If Scripture says this, Scripture says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's what Jesus Christ said. And Jesus Christ tells us, don't do those things. But we all just admitted we've done those things. So does that make us, well, not all of them, okay. But does that make us a friend or an enemy of God? You see, we've got to think about, We've got to think about our relationship with God, guys. Because sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time and I'm not saying everybody, but sometimes we look a lot more like a frenemy of God than a friend of God. We we look at him, we talk to him, we love him, we tell him that, we sing about him, we get into his word and we read about him, and then we turn around and we forget to live out all of those things that we just got done talking and learning about. And we do all the things that the world tells us we should do, all the things that'll be fun, all the things that'll make us happy. And we forget about all the things that God said, hey, if you really want true life, here's what you need to look at. And as we go through the rest of this part of James chapter 4, James gives us some very clear indicators, very clear descriptions of what an enemy of God looks like. And as we go through this, I just want you to be thinking about your relationship with God. Does this describe any part of your relationship with God? Maybe it does at some points. Does it describe it all the time? Do these things actually apply to your relationship or to my relationship? You see, the first thing he tells us about an enemy of God in James 4.4 is that an enemy enemy of God is a friend to the world. An enemy of God is a friend to the worldly things. He says it in verse 4. You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, James, if you remember, we saw in verse 1 of James 1, he's writing this to Jewish Christians. Now, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Jewish Christians, the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people. God made a covenant relationship with them. That's like a marriage relationship. He said, I'm going to be yours, you're going to be mine, here's how we're going to work that out. And that's where all the scripture comes from. But see, in a covenant relationship, God is calling, or James is telling him right here, he's saying, you adulterous people. He's talking to these Jewish believers and he's saying, guys, in this covenant relationship, you're an adulterer. It'd be like this. Guys, girls, you get married a couple years down the road. Hope Some of you, a long way down the road, you're going to get married. That's not nice. I saw that. But you're going to get married. And one day, you find out your husband or your wife has committed adultery. So you do what God does. You go to them, and you forgive them, and you take them back. And then not long after that, you find out your husband or your wife has done it again. So you go to them, and you forgive them, and you take them back, only to find out that they go out and they do it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. That's what the Jewish people are doing to God. These believers, these Jewish Christians, as they've gone out, some of these Christians have started adopting these other belief systems, have started turning their back on what they know to be true about God and started following what everybody else is telling them they should do. And see, what Scripture tells us right here is that when we do that, we're not a friend of God, we're actually an enemy of God. James uses the word, he says that we are at enmity with God. Enmity, that word means a state or feeling of hatred or hostility. It says that when we decide that we're going to follow the passions of our flesh, when we're going to follow what the world tells us is okay, that we have a hatred towards God. That we have a feeling of just this, we we don't want anything to do with him. Not just that we don't want anything to do with him, is that we don't want anybody else to have anything to do with him. We hate him. And see, James is telling us that's what happens when we start thinking about ourselves. That's what happens when we start doing the things that the world tells us is okay. But see, 1 John chapter 2 says this, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You and I, we are made of flesh and bone. And this flesh, this body that we're born into, it craves sin. It desires it. It longs for it. It wants it so bad. But what we just read tells us that if we say we believe in God and we have a relationship through Jesus Christ, that that's not what we're going to give into. That if we decide, okay, we love the world, Scripture said, I didn't say that, Scripture says that, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's saying, guys, if we love the world, if that is our one desire, if that is our one longing and our passion is just to go out and do everything that our sinful flesh tells us will satisfy us, then the love of the Father is not in us. That's scary. Because I know there's times, I know there's times every one of us, we want to give in a little bit, right? We want to have a little fun. We want to see what everybody else is doing and see what it feels like. Does that mean the love of the Father is not in us? Now, what that means is, even in those times when you have those little instances where you want to see what the world's like, it means that that battle that Paul talks about in Romans is raging inside of you. Paul talks about over and over this idea of living in the spirit and living in the flesh. That our body, and Paul even says he has this struggle, that our body, our body, our minds, they want to do the things that are sinful. But the spirit that lives within us as followers and believers in God and Jesus Christ wants to draw us away from those things. And there are going to be times where we struggle with those things. And it's a constant battle. Paul talks about how the fact that when he wants to do good, he finds that evil lies close at hand, that it's waiting to pounce on him. And guys, that is a battle that we fight every single day. But the amazing thing is, in that battle, Jesus Christ has already won that war. He's already conquered sin. He's already conquered all of those desires. And if we will focus on Him and seek to follow Him, yeah, there may be times when we slip up, but we don't stay there. We get back up, and we follow Him, and we go after what God desires, not what our flesh and the world desires. You see, Scripture tells us that if we desire those things, if that is our focus, if we are a friend of the world, then we're not a friend of God. And 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we have been bought with a price. If we have come to a point in our life where we have said, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner, and I can't fix it. I can't. There's nothing I can do. And we've asked him to forgive us. He's done that. And the price was his death on a cross. Your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, everything about you has been bought with a price. Guess what? If you belong to God, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to him. Every bit of us belongs to who he is and what he wants for our life, not who we are and what we want for our life. So James is cautioning us. If we're going to say we're a friend of God, if we're going to say we follow him and we love him, we've got to make sure that we're living that out. Will we fail sometimes? Yes, everybody will, but we don't stay there we get up and continue to strive after God. But he tells us something else about what an enemy of God looks like. It says, an enemy of God disregards Scripture in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You see, James, what he's doing here is he's referencing some of those Old Testament verses that talk about how God is a God of jealousy how he is jealous over us, over his creation, over those that belong to him. And he's saying that that these people who are an enemy of God, they don't care about that. They disregard scripture. They disregard what it says. He's saying these people continually turn their backs on God. And over and over and over, we decide that, okay, God, I know you want me to love you, You want me to love others. You want me to honor and obey my parents. You want me to abstain from every appearance of evil. You want me to do this. You want me to do this. But God, I really want to do this. And we ignore what Scripture says. That's what an enemy of God does. But he doesn't stop there, man. He gives us all kinds of examples here in James chapter 4. An enemy of God, verse 6, is prideful. Prideful. We all know what pride is, right? See what James says. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, if, if you're like me, when you were young, your parents taught you to take pride in the things that you do, right? I hope. Doing a job well done, when you play on a sports team, when you do work in school, when you get a job and get paid for it, you take pride in those things. But you see, there's a difference between taking pride in something and what James calls here about being proud. You see, when it comes to pride, we can take it so far that that pride becomes all about us. That it's no longer just, hey, I did a good job. That it's, I did such a great job. Y'all look at me. Y'all, y'all, come on. I did a good job. Give me some applause, you know, give me me something, give me a little cash, give me something. Make me feel good about myself. And we become prideful. And nobody can tell us right from wrong. And nobody can tell us what we should and we shouldn't do. Because everything in our life is about me, 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 me. It's like the Toby Keith song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I like, what I think, what I... I'm just saying. It's a good. I like the song. But you know what? That's what James is talking about. When our focus becomes about us, we become an enemy of God because we become prideful. And it tells us right there that he opposes the proud. He opposes those who are so concerned about them because because what happens, guys, is pride puts a distance between us and God because it takes our focus off of God. When we're looking here, we can't see God in front of us. We can't see God around us. We can't even see God working in us because our own pride gets in the way of that vision. That's not what God wants for us. And that's why it says that an enemy of God is prideful. But thank goodness, James never leaves us with just the negative parts. James tells us what an enemy of God looks like. But then he turns around, and in the next couple verses, he tells us what a friend of God looks like. Now, see, some of us, We get this confused, and we're a frenemy of God. We look like some of these last things that we're getting ready to go through, but the reality is we really camp out on those first couple verses. And my prayer for you tonight is that as we go through these last couple things, this is what defines your relationship with God. This is what it looks like for you on a daily basis. So let's see. When James says he's a friend of God, what does that look like? Verse 7, a friend of God submits to God. Pretty straightforward. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, submission is different than the obedience we talked about before, where Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Because submission is not just doing what God wants. Submission is a complete, 100% total surrender of who we are to God. Everything about us, our will our actions, our words, our thoughts, everything. Submission is giving all of that to God and saying, okay, God, do with it what you want to do with it. My dreams, my desires, God, do with them what you want to do with them. Because as we learn to submit ourselves to God, then obedience is a natural reaction to that. Obedience comes with it. As we submit our wills to God, as we submit our lives to Him, The desires of our hearts become what he already wants for us. The things that we want for our future become what God already wants for us. And then it's easy to obey him because he's already in control, because we've already given him everything. That's what's so cool. That's what's so amazing about this is that if we just decide, okay, God, I'm yours 100%, I'm willing to go whenever, wherever, do anything you want me to do, we will find that God will call us to some cool things. God will give us some amazing opportunities. And because we know we're in his will and we know we're following him, it's easy to obey at that point. But it also says this, in that same verse, it says a friend of God resists the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit your will to God, when you make the choice that God has your everything in your life, Satan is not going to be happy. Because his number one goal is to distract you from God. Not to necessarily get you into all kinds of bad stuff. He doesn't even have to do that. But if he can take your attention off of God, he's got you. If he can put your attention on a boyfriend or a girlfriend or school Or, you know, whatever your sport is, or whatever instrument you play, if he can get you focused there instead of on God, then he's done his job. See, this tells us that we're supposed to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. When we're on guard from that, when we are determined to submit to God and give him everything we have, we'll know when Satan's attacking us. We'll feel it. We'll see it coming. We'll know when something pops up in our life and it's an area we struggle with that we know can draw our attention away from God, we'll see it coming at us. And we'll be able to walk towards God instead of towards that thing or that person or whatever it is in your life. It says Satan will flee from you. Guys, that's amazing. When God is in your life, when God is working in your life and you submitted to him, Satan is scared of you. If he can knock you off track, he's not scared of you anymore. But when you're right where God wants you to be, he's afraid. And that's an amazing place to be. But James keeps going here. There's more things that a friend of God looks like. In verse 8, a friend of God draws near to God. Pretty easy if you're submitting your will to God. If you're resisting the devil so he'll flee from you, you draw near to God. Verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. If we are going to draw close to God, we've got to spend time with God. Think about the relationships you have. The closest friendships you have are the people that you've probably spent the most time with. If we are going to draw near to God and have a close relationship with Him, we've got to actually spend time with Him, we've got to get into His Word. We've got to know who God is from what this book, this love letter to us tells us. We've got to draw near to him. And if we draw near to him, he's going to do what? Yes, thank you. Draw near to you. That's a promise. I talked about that on Sunday, that we have a promise of the future as believers in God and Jesus Christ. That's a promise that Scripture makes to us. If we draw near to God, you know, I, I've, I've had these times in my lives, and you guys may have too, where you feel like, okay, God, I just don't feel like you're really there right now. I don't really feel your presence. The Scripture says if we're drawing near to him, we're going to feel him because he's there. Because he's going to draw near to us. We're going to know that he's working in our life. But that same verse says this. It says a friend of God confesses sin. Confesses sin. I'm willing to bet you guys did this at one point when you were little. Your parents told you to go to the bathroom before dinner and wash your hands. And some of you, I'm willing to bet, you went in the bathroom and you turned on the water and you stood there. And then you turned the water off. And you might have even wrung your hands out on the towel just so the towel would look like it had been messed up and you went straight to the dinner table. Now, did you really get all that dirt and nastiness and and grossness off of your hands? No. Or some of you went in there and you turned on the water and you stuck your hands under the water. And you stood there. And then you pulled them back out and you dried them off because your parents would check to see if your hands were cold if you actually had water on them. I know my parents did that. Did that still get all the dirt and the nastiness and the grime off your hands? No, it did get part of it. But it didn't get all of it. You have to actually go in there. And you have to put soap on your hands and you have to scrub the soap, and you have to take action. You have to do something to get that dirt off of you to accomplish what your parents asked you to do. That's kind of what James is saying here. He's saying, guys, when we come before God, here's what we do a lot of times. We say, God, please forgive me of my sins. Amen. And we do that on a daily basis. But you see, this this is telling us that that we've got to confess our sins. Okay, God, I lied to somebody today. God, I took your name in vain today. God, I was prideful and I talked ugly to my parents today. The things that actually happen in our lives, it tells us we've got to confess those. You've got to actually pull those things out and hand them over to God. You've got to take action to make happen what God wants to happen in our lives. That's what it says a friend of God does. It's not just saying, God, please just forgive me of my sins. Yes, God already knows your sins. I've heard somebody say that before. Well, God already knows everything I've done wrong, so why do I have to say it? Because it's us acknowledging that we know what we've done that didn't honor and glorify God. It's us knowing specifically, okay, God, here's what I need to try to avoid tomorrow because I know I did it today, and when I did it, it broke your heart. We've got to confess our sin. We've got to bring it before God. And John, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like that soap washing your hands. If you don't get that soap on there and rub it around and scrub your hands and then wash it off, all that dirt's still there. When we come before God, He's telling us, Confess what you've done. Bring it to me. Let's deal with it. Let me forgive you. Let me cleanse you of those things. But in the next verse, he talks about another thing. He says, a friend of God, we don't only confess our sin, we grieve over our sin. See what he says in verse nine. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. When we confess our sin, we've got to actually look at it. It's like, uh, you guys may have experienced this before, you're, you're sitting in class, and the person next to you pulls out a tissue and blows their nose. I mean, just as <laughs> nasty, blows their nose. Thank you. And then they take that tissue, and they do just like this. And they look at it. Or you sneeze, and you cover your face so that when you sneeze, it doesn't go everywhere, But then you feel it on your hand and you look and there's snot like laced in between your fingers and it's running down your arm. And you look at it and it's gross, isn't it? It's nasty. And maybe you wipe it on somebody. That's exactly what James is talking about here. James is telling us, guys, that when we look at our sin, we confess our sin. We need to actually look at it. God, what is it that I did that offended you today? What is it that I did? What were those words? What were those actions that dishonored you? And yeah, it's gross, and it's ugly, and it's nasty, but if we don't look at it, we'll do it again. And we'll do it again, and we'll do it again, and again, and again. James is telling us we're supposed to mourn over our sin. We're supposed to weep over the things that we do that don't honor and glorify God? To mourn. When's the last time you mourned over your sin? When's the last time God broke your heart over the fact that you broke his? It tells us that a friend of God, that's what we do. Because when we mourn over our sin, it's recognizing that God is holy and we are not. And that that sin in our lives, we can't fix that. Only God can. That's why he tells us to mourn over it. That's why he tells us to weep over it, to grieve over it. But he also says this, a friend of God humbles themselves before him. If you're a friend of God, you humble yourself before God. This is the last verse we're going to do tonight. James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If a sign of being an enemy of God is someone being prideful, then someone being humble before God is a sign of being his friend. Humble, that doesn't mean that you let everybody walk all over you. That doesn't mean you let everybody treat you any way they want. It just means you think less of yourself and more of God. It means that pride in your life, that's not as important as that relationship with God. It means that sin, that fun that you think you're having that the world tells you was great is not as important to you as that relationship with God. A friend humbles themselves before God. So my question to you is, are you a friend or an enemy of God tonight? Think about your relationship for a second. Think about the last week, the last day. Think about your relationship with God. Which one of these sets, which one of these groups of verses describes that relationship? Are you a friend? Or are you an enemy of God? Or even this, which is where we ride the fence. Are you a frenemy of God? You show up. We do all the right things. We say all the right stuff. Jesus, man, we got that answer down every time. But then we walk out the door and we live life like we don't even know it. Which one are you tonight? You're an enemy, you're a friend, or you're a frenemy? And I'll tell you right now, the third choice is a lot scarier place to be than an enemy of God. Scripture tells us he would rather us be hot or cold, not be lukewarm. Makes him want to vomit us out of his mouth when we ride that fence. And we are a frenemy of God. Which one are you tonight? Which one will you choose to be tonight and tomorrow and the next day? Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a question. Nobody looking around. I want a chance to pray for you. How many of you in here right now tonight would say, I'm a frenemy of God. It looks like I'm doing the right things, but I know I'm not living what he wants me to live. I'm living exactly the way I want to. Raise your hand for me, if you would. Okay? There's a couple of you. You're being honest. Thank you. Anybody in here tonight, you say, you know what? I'm just an enemy of God. I don't have a relationship with him. Anybody here that strives you tonight? Because you can change that tonight if that's you. It's real easy to do. It's understanding that Jesus Christ died on a cross for us, that he died for us to forgive us of the sins in our life. And all we have to do is ask for his forgiveness, and he will do it and follow him with the rest of our lives. It's an incredible thing. God, I want to thank you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the love that you show us on a daily basis. And God, I pray that as we looked at tonight, we looked at James chapter four, God, that you will help us not to live for us, God, not to be your enemy, God, but to be your friend, not to be your frenemy, God, not to put on a show, but to actually know you and love you and follow you and worship you. God, I pray that for my life. I pray that for the life of everyone in here, everyone in this church. And God, for the ones that raised their hand tonight that said, you know what? I am in front of me. Of God. I do all the right things, but I'm not living the way God wants me to. God, I pray. I pray that you will help each and every one of us, God, to submit to you, to humble ourselves before you. Tonight, and you've got something else going on in your life, something we haven't even talked about, that you want somebody to pray for you about. That's what those green cards are for. Write it down. When you stand to sing, as soon as that first word is sung, bring it up here and put it in this basket sitting on the stool. Don't walk out of here tonight without knowing where you stand with God.